around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. We're back in corny Trek territory today, Adam. Boy, are we. <laughs> we really, really are. It wouldn't be Trek without some corn. Here's what makes this corn a little hard to digest. <laughs> if you remember, we were so excited at the end of the last episode. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of creative people would seek that excitement from a viewer Try to grab hold of it and take advantage of it. Like, yes, we've got them. We've got them hooked. Right. Coming into the next episode. You wanted to see my brother. Now you can join him. In the dungeon. I know we're going to talk a lot about this at the end, but like, why not use that? You know? But also, why use that? Like, I feel like that is something that is so exhausting about so much television now is that every episode ends with a, oh, my God, and then, you know, tries to pick up that energy and keep running with it in the next episode. You're not wrong about that quality of television, but like this show basically lied to us at the end of the last episode. Like, did it not? I mean, we're still hanging on a cliff. That there's a guy in jail somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when you put it like that, I guess you're diminishing the cliff, aren't you? Like, there is no cliff to you. I, I was very excited that Cybok is being set up as a character, but I didn't think that he seemed to pose any, you know, imminent threat. We just interpreted this differently. Like, uh, <laughs> like he's fine over there <laughs> where he is. Let's do some corny storybook shit over here. It's corn syrup, guys. <laughs> corn syrup and latex. What a weird choice. Like, Corny Star Trek was a quality of the show when we had 26 episodes. Yeah. You burn one on the corn. <laughs> Get a little weird over here. Like the mushrooms episode. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it. But there's a supply constraint to new Star right. Trek where if you get corny- it's a real investment in the corn, isn't it? I feel like in TOS, the ratio was like- six or seven episodes of corn for every two or three of really serious great, Uh huh. you know? Like, don't you think that the corn ratio has gone way down over the years? Oh, absolutely. Uh, to almost zero. To almost like it's a label on the food that says, like, if you have a corn allergy, yeah. you're fine yeah. for consuming new Star Trek. Like, Discovery is processed in a facility that may also process corn, but right. it doesn't... That's as close as you get. <laughs> like, if you board an aircraft and you're allergic to corn, no one is getting on the blower saying you know, not to watch right. Star Trek Discovery on the plane. <laughs> it's going to be fine. I was once on an airplane and they did the announcement that there wouldn't be any peanuts in the in-flight meal because somebody on board the plane had a severe peanut allergy. And a guy across the aisle from me just reached down into his bag and pulled out like a pillowcase-sized bag of peanuts the second that announcement happened. That is a real... <laughs> Real fuck your feeling snack, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. 
<laughs> also, like outside of the context of a baseball game, I don't know anyone who enjoys peanuts to that extent. Peanuts in the shell, like they were. It was like literally that. It was like baseball game style, like salted shell peanuts, which is like. I've seen them in dive bars where people are allowed sure. to throw the peanut shells on the floor. Yeah. I've seen them at ballparks. Managing all that all that husk waste on an airplane just seems like a fucking giant pain in the ass. For the sole purpose of being a dick to one person with a serious allergy. <laughs> it's the performance aspect that sucks. Yeah. If yeah. if peanuts are your absolute favorite snack, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you squirrel some away in your breast pocket. Right. You know, right. like if you need it, if it's got some strange medicinal property that right. you require, that's fine. <laughs> but the <laughs> but the performance I, pillow of peanuts, <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this guy, like a proto-anti-masker, this was years ago, before the people that would like make a TikTok of themselves arguing with a flight attendant about not putting the mask on. I am working so hard in my travels to like take less. Yeah. Not have the overstuffed bag. The idea of like going with five pounds of peanuts instead <laughs> of maybe a couple of chargers that I might need for my devices. <laughs> that decision's dumb as hell. This guy has checked the maximum number of checked bags, he's brought two yeah. carry ons. And he's still running short on clean underpants, but he's got five pounds of peanuts. God. Yeah. I can't think of anything that I pack normally that I would swap out for peanuts. (laughs) (laughs) And not only that, I don't think it's a very good snack. Like, you and I have often been caught out, like, without a meal option. Yeah. Late at night at a hotel, we get into a city. No one's eating peanuts for dinner. Yeah. We're both practitioners of the snack dinner in oh, yeah. context like that. Yeah. Peanut, like even if they're on sale in the little mini convenience store in the hotel lobby, I'm not getting the peanuts. I'm taking chips over peanuts every time. Wow. Not even blinking. I would take a different nut over peanuts, like any other nut. Sure. I mean, the almond is famously- Listen, and I hear your fucking keyboards going crazy. I know it's a legume. I know. You don't have to correct me. God, just just figuring that people care enough, Ben, to write you about something so dumb. That is hubris right there. The fucking hubris of that. Sheer fucking hubris. What are you drinking over there? Is that a a Coca-Cola? No, that's the end of a uh, a little mini iced coffee. I got I got really good sleep last night, but I'm still tired as hell. It's just my life now. Hmm. I'm on my second coffee. You and me both, man. It's my third, man. I'm I'm dying today. I don't know why. I had morning coffee and then I had afternoon coffee, and this is my second afternoon coffee. I want to be oh. clear. Oh, see, I doubled up in the a.m. and this is my little p.m. pick me up. Wow. <laughs> well, I'm. Sure, everyone's glad to know that. Just yeah, check it yeah. in with our caffeine intake. We're going to need it today, I think. Yeah. See if we can digest <laughs> and excrete this amount of corn. Yeah. We're going to be digging this episode <laughs> out of our mess. It's Strange New World <laughs> Season 1, Episode Jesus. 8, The Elysian Kingdom. 
Adam, we start on a uh, on a routine survey mission, as so many Star Trek episodes do. Surveying a, a nebular. Captains relish these missions. Yeah. They relish the nebula. No battles, no chaos, just scanning a nebula and focusing on the science. As do chief medical officers who have huge secret medical research projects to do when they've got some downtime. And so Dr. Mabenga is working hard on trying to find a cure for Rukia's illness. Yeah. Which we've learned has very little time left to cure, right? So what he says in his log is like, she was originally given months to live, but those months are now days. And in fact, hours at this point. So like every moment she's outside of the transport buffer is, you know, cutting off the amount of lifetime she has left. What do you think of the choice to make her not apparently sick at all? Like she doesn't have, she is not one. She's not (laughs) losing her hair. She doesn't seem weak. (laughs) (laughs) What happened to you? (laughs) That that I just want to say one a lot. (laughs) I I feel like it's the main thing you're looking for <laughs> when you're sizing people up. Yeah, long. Well, I best have a look. And it makes me self-conscious like when when we hang out, like I don't know what that looks like. I have a feeling you're looking at me and judging me for Juan. No, you're not Juan, you're Hale. <laughs> I had the same thought, quite honestly. Like would it change how we feel about the doctor or Rukia? If she had demonstrated suffering. Right. Or had a stated interest in like resisting the transport buffer at any point. Right. Don't put me back in there. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's no suffering of any kind. No, it seems like the quality time that they have with each other does not have the feeling of urgency. Like these are fleeting moments that are going away. Let's stick a pin in that question until the end, because I have a thought about that. I think that'll be more appropriate for that point. Okay. But it is definitely something I thought about this episode, and you're right to bring it up. Well, the quality time in question is spent with the doctor reading his daughter from this book. We talked about it before. It's called The Elysian Kingdom, and she does not care for the way the story ends. She wants to make some edits. What if we could change the ending? We. Since when are you a writer? What do you make of the idea of this book being written by Benny Russell? I mean, it doesn't really seem like the kind of stuff he wrote in that one episode of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, if I wasn't like really looking at who the author was, I never would have suspected an, a, a relationship there at all. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I love the callback. I'm, I'm all for the callback. And if Benny Russell did some stuff that was just kid lit, that wasn't super... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> political. Uh, I, b- I would buy it. This kid lit will really get your kid lit. I know, but this isn't the kind of kid lit that gets you fired from your magazine for having too <laughs> radical of ideas for the stuffy white ownership. Yeah, I mean, maybe he should have written more books like The Kingdom of Elysian, you know? <laughs> maybe that's the that's the key to a long and happy career, Benny. Maybe so. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm worried about this Eject, eject (laughs) This is clearly a book that She's been read many times Do you also feel like this is kind of tragic too? 
She only has so long to live, doctor. <laughs> Why don't you give her the experience of some new literature? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she's like, maybe a little old for this, but like there are those kids that like only want the one, you know, they like only want to watch Frozen or whatever. Right. Yeah. So maybe maybe it's that, but also she's, you know, be like, I only want to watch Frozen, but I hate the way Frozen ends. I don't, I've never seen Frozen, so I, I picked a bad example. <laughs> no, who knows what that movie's about? Free ice skating! She only wants to watch Event Horizon, but she's like, I hate the part where he says this place is a tomb. <laughs> I don't know, Doc. I, I think maybe a book diet improvement yeah. would be nice, and also maybe a diet diet improvement. Maybe not all waffles mm, yeah. would would help your daughter. <laughs> That's what the disease fight is. Fight this terrible disease, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just a, she's got way too high waffle in her bloodstream. Yeah. It turns out it's just diabetes from, from all the syrup. Di- diabetes? Is that an excuse, diabetes? He's also depicted doing like late night chemistry experiments and he's droppering Kool-Aid into a Petri dish and it like explodes in his face and he gets a puff of gas and then the computer like intervenes and covers the reaction in a dome-shaped force field. Do you remember how nervous you were in chemistry class when the teacher's like, look, if you accidentally mix two things in here, shit's going to get wild. And like you go and like the very first time I went into a classroom where there was like flames in there and, and chemistry set stuff. It really feels intense. And so when this thing blows up in Mabenga's face, I thought about all those times doing chemistry in high school thinking like that could have happened to me or anyone. Maybe that's what's wrong with me. Bad chemistry. I love the use of this here because you're like, okay, everything that happens to Mabenga from now on is sus. Like he's either stoned or like disoriented or something. But there's this weird cut where like it's just – Later, it, he there's no more dome-shaped force field. He's not coughing or sputtering. And number one walks in and, and is like, hey, Doc, like, what gives? You're supposed to clear the shuttle crew for something, something, something. Una walks in on Dr. Mabenka getting dome. <laughs> <laughs> and you never want to do that, right? It's because it's embarrassing for the doctor. Right. And for her, you yeah. know? Nobody, like, it's, that's private. <laughs> Do your dome in private. Not at work. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is real good bossing that Una does here, right? Because Una at first is like, hey, you're blowing off your work here for dome. Yeah. What gives? But also like out of the other side of her mouth, she's like, hey, man, how's it going with your daughter and so forth? And like she's the kind of manager that can be both. Right? Yeah. The what the fuck, man, you get a job to do here and also take some time to get your mind right before even clocking in. Like the immediacy of the task isn't the topmost thing that she has in mind. You can see to the landing party when you're feeling better. I'm fine. Take it as an order then, doctor. Yeah, it's interesting. It does feel like the work is piling up. Like he is letting stuff become a problem elsewhere on the ship because he's not taking action on his to-do list, but... His well-being is really important to her, so she orders him to take a break. I did like seeing those drugs being made tableside with the mortar and mm. pestle. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Really like it fresh that way. <laughs> yeah, it's like the margarita cart at Casablanca. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. 
up on the bridge, Spock and Pike are talking about how great it is to have just a chill, adventureless mission. Yeah. Where they're not, you know, shooting phasers and dodging photon torpedoes. Even Spock knows that you don't sidle up to someone at the craps table and go, boy, it's been a long time since you rolled a seven, huh? (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of the vibe here. Yeah. This is why you hate going to Vegas with me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because that's all you do. (laughs) Uh (laughs) No, you're the best in Vegas because you're always uh, trying to bring me crazy drinks. I just go sit at the bar. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I sent you a text with a, a new rum bar opening in Vegas, and all I thought about was having good times there with you. And I knew I it was a place you'd like because rum was spelled with an H. Yeah. I like that very much. That means they're friends to the funk. Yeah. <laughs> the the F-H-U-N-K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The crew have finished their survey. They decide to head out. And uh, Ortegas is given the order, warp us on out of here, and they are dead in the water. Spock is doing bits on the superstitious nature of humans, talking about how Pike may have fucked them by calling this out. Ortegas is hitting the button, and we're getting that sound. I feel like we've gotten the sound a bunch of times on this series, the sound of a button saying, no, what you're trying to do isn't going to happen here. Pike is like, get us out of here, Ortegas, and she's like... I can't! <laughs> so they, yeah, everything is five by five on the instruments, uh, all systems green. So they call down to Hemmer and they're like, hey man, so engines don't seem to be working. Got an explanation for this? And there is no explanation. So they try going to impulse. And by this point, Ortegas has stood up from her chair and... When they try to go to Impulse, she hits the button, and it's a massive banger that launches Ortegas over the control panel. She's got a huge bloody wound on her head. Richard Dr. Mbenga, emergency. Lieutenant Ortegas is injured. On my way, Captain. Mbenga has, like, just gotten to his room for his, you know, <laughs> his commander-ordered R&R when he has to go up to the bridge to help them with this. That sucks. Mbenga's yeah. having a tough day. Yeah. Not tougher than Ortega's, who became the banger, basically, right? <laughs> yeah. When you bang into your console instead of a girder hitting you or whatever. Right, right, yeah. She am become banger. She am become banger. Yeah. So Bubega goes up to the bridge, but when he gets there, it's like a storybook bridge. It's a He's the king. He's dressed like Mansa Musa of the Mali Empire. The richest man in the world? Yes. Everybody's in uh, finery. Yeah. Pike's quaff has gone from updo to butt cut. Yeah. He went straight to us in middle school. <laughs> what the hell? That's our jaw on the floor moment into theme. Yeah. Adam, I want to pause here to talk about the way I watched this episode. Okay. Uh, Yesterday, we had a uh, production meeting with producer Wendy Pretty. We Mm -hmm. talked about all of the stuff that we need to get done this week and, you know, medium and long-term planning stuff. And then at the end of the meeting, the two of you who had already watched this episode were like, ah, I cannot believe I'm, I am shocked at what they did with that episode. I'm mad about it. Uh huh. I uh, finished that meeting, finished my day, knocked off work yesterday afternoon, went inside and started getting some dinner prepped. And 
I thought I had like a good hour before my wife came home. So I was like, oh, I think I'll watch that Strange New Worlds that Adam and Wendy were so angry about. They yeah. were outraged. Uh-huh. And I, I should get myself outraged before my wife gets home. This is your thinking? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> more or less. Uh, but I started watching this and my wife walks in right at the moment where Space the Final Frontier starts to get uttered. Oh. So that was where I cut off and I was like, holy shit, did they kill off Ortegas in this episode? Is the episode, when I watch the rest of it tomorrow, going to be about this fucking crazy storybook thing happened and because it was happening, Ortegas fucking dies? And then I was like, God, is that like, is this that kind of show where like we really love a character and then they, you know, are, are they Game of Thronesing yeah. Star Trek a little bit where yeah. it's like, don't ever fall in love with any character because like they will get killed off. I mean, yeah, you could suspect that someone's going to be Tasha Yar That's, in a season one episode of Star Trek. That was all I could figure out from what I had seen in uh -huh. the first, you know, eight minutes and 40 seconds of this episode. Right. Was that. Yeah. And I went to sleep just like, man, what a trip. I'm going to watch Ortegas taken off the board tomorrow. What a drag. One of my favorite characters on the show. Wow. So that means like your theme song lasted like 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I watched the rest of it this morning and then I was like, what the fuck were they so upset about? Because after the theme, Ortegas, she's fine. She's fine. Everyone's fine. <laughs> Everyone's fine. I mean, they're not fine. They're they're suffering from something crazy, but yeah, they're they're inhabiting these roles. Pike is like a, a chamberlain. Ortegas is a knight. Everybody's got a different role to play in the court of uh, what is it? King Ridley Mabenga has has occupied. Oh yeah, Mabenga is King Ridley. Yeah, and he's he's like. Perfectly happy to just sit down in the captain's chair, <laughs> drink some wine. I mean, it's kind of useful that everyone is confused in this scene, right? Mabenga is confused about what he's seeing, and Pike as Sarath and Ortegas as Adia are also confused by Mabenga's behavior. Yeah, because they are not aware that something is strange. He is in this state of perplexity where he's dressed as a king and everybody's treating him like a king, but it's obviously the bridge of the Enterprise. Like, there's still the view screen and computers, and he's able to, like, get a systems check that says all systems are nominal or whatever. There's an omniscience to the episode that runs throughout, right? Like, whenever we get a dip to white and we see a picture out of the book. Right. The episode is teaching us what's happening in a way that is not happening to any of the characters. Yeah. So your initial thought here is like probably Mabenga is high off his ass because of that puff of smoke that went into his face. So he decides to go down to Six Bay to scan himself with a tricorder. And there we meet uh, Nurse Chapel, who is some kind of wizard or sorceress person what brings you to my sanctuary this is one of the things that's so interesting about this episode is that the computer still works and responds yeah. to mabenga on the bridge and the stuff that they have in six bay still works like even though chapel is in there like over a cauldron sometimes <laughs> like doing middle earth shit in there like with herbs or whatever there's only one way to eat a brace of conies mm -hmm. there's still all of the tech of the modern century that is useful in there yeah. And so, like, he scans himself. He's fine. He scans her. High dopamine levels. 
Yeah. She's all doped up. Yeah. And this is when La'an walks in, who has inhabited the role of a princess in a big sparkly dress. She's got a very cute dog. Very fun to see La'an chew scenery like this. My dear brave King Ridley, I'm so grateful to have finally found you. Is that a real puppy? Like, is that La'an's puppy was a thought that I had? Because (laughs) by the time the episode ends, we're aware that like, Everyone is real. Like every character is taken from a real person yeah. on the ship, which would also suggest that the puppy is real. The puppy wasn't just created by the nebula, right? Is that why La'an is so interested in always feeling the pain whenever something is injected into her? She's like, I have a puppy. It bites me all the time. Yeah. This is the way now. That explains a lot. Yeah. <laughs> La'an is going on about the Mercury Stone and where it might be. Yeah, they all want this thing to stop Queen Nev, who is the villain of the storybook. And she is quite exercised that uh, King Ridley seems to have lost track of the Mercury Stone. Didn't you guess that the queen was going to be number one? I sure did. I thought the characters who inhabited the roles was frequently surprising, you know? Yeah, they were fun surprises. Yeah. Surprise, motherfucker. There are references made to the Crimson Guard. And when we cut to them, they are in the process of dragging Hammer along a corridor. And what's strange about this is that Hammer seems to be himself. Yeah. In a way that every other character that Mabenga has encountered is not. It seems like Hemmer has also like been in this reality less long because his the stuff he's complaining about seems like he would have stopped complaining about it a long time ago, you know? Looks like the finger's okay because like that's part of what they're dragging him by. Like That's true. Yeah. His arms and his hands. So Nice work, Mabenga. Good for him. Getting Hemmer's hand back in working order. Yeah. Um, it would appear that Mabenga did a hand job previously to getting dome. Seems it's, it seems that way, yeah. Those are the last few uh, procedures he's done in Six Bay. Yeah, yeah. It seems like Six Bay hasn't gone all the way in a long time. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just under the bleacher stuff in Six Bay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so the Crimson Guard announced that uh, Queen Nev has has like stopped observing some treaty and that the forest which is uh, depicted by the hallway, (laughs) is now considered to be part of her realm. I love the Middle Earth map that the Enterprise schematic has turned into in this meeting. It's big fun. Yeah, that was cool. So, uh, yeah, they have a McLaughlin groupeth Mm. to talk about. Ye old McLaughlin group. (laughs) Issue one. (laughs) (laughs) To talk about the idea that if they rescue Hammer, who is caster the wizard in this universe he'll know where the mercury stone is and king ridley wants to do diplomacy first despite the eagerness of sir Adia to cut people in half sir Adia has got kind of a coat malat approach to solving most problems which is cut people in half yeah and that's not the way king ridley wants to play it but uh it kind of made me wonder and it's tough because like you know, Mavenga has nobody else that's experiencing reality aside from Hemmer to talk to. So he can't ask like, hey, if we start cutting people in half and we get things back to normal, will they still be cut in half? Yeah, <laughs> it's the real if you die in a dream, do you die in real life question. 
Yeah, and that, this episode never never answers that. No. Like, how strong was that dome, Mabanga? Yeah. <laughs> Real strong. This entire episode is like a running, well, that was weird joke, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they go back to the hallway and they're, they're headed to, I guess, like the engineering section where they're going to confront Queen Nev and they encounter... The wizard Pollux, as played by Spock, who really looks hunky with that long hair, I have to say. God damn, he sure does. My word. Please point that elsewhere. Yeah, he's still got the Spock eyebrows, but he's let his hair down. And he's uh, he's a little goofier. He's like a slightly uh, smiley guy. Yeah. What a smile on this dude. He might be useful to King Ridley's group because... Hammer is Castor the wizard, purportedly the brother of Pollux the wizard, Spock's character. So they're like, hey, we're on our way to rescue your brother. Do you want to help? Yeah. And Spock, as Pollux is like, yeah, that seems like a good deal to me. <laughs> the, the trouble is the swamp of infinite deaths is between them and Hammer. Yeah. Oh, that is not a good swamp. And much is made of how dangerous this path is. It's got those crazy rats in it. I don't think they exist. <laughs> Is that what the angled Jeffrey's tube is when they go through it? Well, that's like the shortcut, right? Is like the I love the this tube. This is yeah. Isn't it crazy to have a favorite Jeffrey's tube? This is mine. Yeah. yeah. This Jeffrey's tube rules. I think it reminds me of a McDonald's play space tube, <laughs> you know? Like the slide that's an entire tube. Yeah. It's definitely like a really faithful reproduction of an a, a TOS set. Yeah. And- yeah. And I liked it in TOS too. It seems like ladder is not a great conveyance for an angled path like this. If it seems like steps should be better. I keep wondering about that. Yeah. But maybe steps aren't even right for this. I I don't have a better idea, but it looks uncomfortable to go up and down this thing. <laughs> I know. I want to get a tour of this set and try that thing out. That's all I want in the world. We never see the top part. Like I want to be in the corridor above yeah. this tube. And I want someone to complain about why it isn't a slide because that's going to be the worst is going down this thing, knowing that you could slide down so much faster. Right. Cause like there are those ladders that have the like mm-hmm. two smooth poles on the outside. And you see people in like submarine movies go down them by putting their feet on the outside and just using them as friction. There are no smooth poles here, Ben. Yeah. You couldn't slide it. Yeah. It's a shame. Well, no sooner have they gone up this tube than we meet Queen Nev, who is uh, portrayed by Uhura. Welcome to my kingdom. Now, kneel before me. Very arch performance. Not quite as uh, scene-chewy as La'an, as the princess, but... uh, Her dress is amazing, and it really, like, everyone's costuming is pretty awesome looking this entire episode. I think she might have the best one of all. Yeah. I was thinking a lot about that, like how even in like TNG when they're spending millions of dollars per episode, they never got costume yeah. looks as cool as this on a character that, you know, wasn't going to come back, you know? Even the set dressing everywhere, like it's a lot of tapestries. It's a lot of uh, pipe and drape on the bridge, which is one thing. But once you get into the corridors, it's not just hot glue and palm fronds. It's like right. really cool looking 
foliage and stuff. I think they did a great job. Vines and braziers and thrones and stuff. It's cool. Yeah. This is a big confrontation with uh, (laughs) with Queen Nev. I love the choice that Babs Olasanmakun makes, especially in this scene where he's being like lectured by his inferior officer in the role of queen and he stays right in between like trying to figure out what is going on and and like play along in the hope that he can solve whatever this puzzle is and also just like what the fuck (laughs) that's a great point like mabenga's attitude throughout the episode i think really helps the quality of the entire thing. Yeah. But there's like an incredulity with the way that he plays every scene and with the way he interacts with someone like Pike's character. Like Sir Roth is is like so fey and annoying and like and just a bootlicker. And yeah. everyone's making fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even Mabanga, like I don't know. It's it's a really fun quality to the ep the way that he's able to navigate, you know, the feeling scene to scene. Yeah. Well, and like Sir Roth being super annoying is met with Mabenga being annoyed by him, you know? It's a really fun play against type, by the way, that Pike is doing. Like, Right. I wonder to what extent Anton Mount is experiencing all the thirst, all the thirstiness around him <laughs> after the first seven episodes and is like, wait until episode eight and i'll really show you like the range that i've got like i'm not just captain hottie like i've got all the gears he can be a silly goofus also yeah yeah and yeah i mean it's it's really fun like the amount of silliness that they're confident in dumping on him like you you don't see star trek captains be put in this kind of like low status extremely silly role very often (laughs) I mean, I can't ever remember a time. Like, I feel like if Patrick Stewart did this in an early season episode of TNG, I don't know if you'd ever see Picard the same way again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's that gif of Kirk, like, acting like a kitty. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know the episode it's from, because I'm not a real Star Trek fan. (laughs) That's true, yeah. But, uh, you know, real ones know the gif of Kirk acting like a kitty. If you're going to do it, like, go 10 out of 10. And that sure seems like the direction here for Pike's character specifically. True. The walls! The walls are starting to close in on me! So they get thrown in jail by Queen Nev, and finally Mabanga and Hemmer can, like, go like, hey, so this this is fucking weird, right? Any idea why everyone's acting so strangely? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. And what Hemmer describes as having had an attempted telepathic invasion of his mind. He like, he felt something, he was able to push it out and there's some kind of entity in the nebula. The nebula is a mind. I was like, come on, show me a nebula that's not a mind, (laughs) Star Trek. One, I guess that's just the kind of nebula you hide in. (laughs) You seem to find no tranquility in anything. There's two kinds of nebulas. Everybody knows it. It's so interesting to hear Hemmer describe what happened to him during the change because in the turbo lift, Mabenga appears to just be suffering from fatigue 
you know, in the in the beginning of the episode. It really sounds like Hammer got rocked by this consciousness. It felt as if my brain were being squeezed through my nose. Yeah, it doesn't sound cool. It also <laughs> starts to sort of undercut the theory of Mabenga is super high because like it had nothing to do with the dome huh yeah it turns out the dome did not have him like (laughs) (laughs) right yeah you're absolutely right it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't make sense Emmer kind of likes the idea of playing along with this, though, and yeah. he likes talking about the the magic of science. Science, progress, and he has like some kind of plasma cutter stuck in his sleeve, so he's able to get them out of jail, and uh, the adventure continues apace. And one thing I really appreciated about this episode was how short the beats are. Yeah, like. I think that it does a really great job of just like moving through this story. Like as silly as it is, mm-hmm. it never drags. It's never boring. I am really growing to enjoy Hemmer as a character because he is not what I thought he would be based on his introduction. Like, right. I don't know about you, but I was expecting a hard ass and someone who is going to make life more difficult for other people and not do a good job integrating with the crew like a strict authoritarian type, you know, engineer. But his don't give a fuck attitude does not come at the expense of the people around him. It's almost like a joyful version of not giving a fuck. He's like, oh, (laughs) like he's, he's kind of writing this episode in a way that helps me as a viewer perceive it in the same way. Like I'm learning how to watch this episode through Hemmer's experience because if he were annoyed by shit or if he weren't believing what was happening or if he were cynical about it being one of those episodes, I think I would feel the same way. Yeah, indeed. He's definitely like one of our proxies in this episode. Yeah. Just as much as Mabenga is. I'm liking him more and more. Yeah, he's good. Hi, I'm a wizard. The Crimson Guard report to Queen Nev that shit has gone down and the prisoners have escaped. They're in a ton of trouble. Well, she's mad as hell, Jack. Be grateful. Your queen is feeling merciful today. Queen Nev sends them after the escapees and also sends Pollux the wizard after them. So there's a big confrontation in the hallway. This is where I'm like, okay, we're going to start seeing people get cut in half. We're going to find out if getting cut in half kills you or not. Right. Ortega's arms herself with a sword, does not cut anybody in half, mostly punches people. Uh, It's a big energy. (laughs) Yeah. And then it winds up being like arrows that take everyone down. And I was like, well, I mean, like arrows are also deadly. So like, what (laughs) what is the solution to this? The mightiest man may be slain by one arrow. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with 
their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit, plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What? 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 Sounds like nonsense. What is going on? I thought it was big that Lieutenant Mitchell was one of the Crimson Guard leaders. Yeah. I think it's great that Lieutenant Mitchell is a real character on this show and not just the Nilsson of Strange New Worlds. Right. She's doing a lot of stuff. It's interesting that she wasn't really introduced per se in the first episode, but she was there. And it feels like they've like started sideloading her as a character after the fact. Yeah, exactly. God, I mean, I wonder if she ends up dying. Yeah. Because we've gotten enough of her character to like her and miss her if she were gone. Yeah. But not enough to like be a waste of backstory. Right. Right. <laughs> well, she should have thought of that before she put on that crimson shirt. She has a huge facial scar too, so I guess you can be injured in this world, right? Yeah, well in but she doesn't have it in in quote unquote reality. She has it in storybook world. So what does it mean? I don't know. It means 
Omerta. It means rewenge. And Adia doesn't have a facial scar from hitting the the panel. Yeah. So that just got fixed. <laughs> Whatever happened to her. That was the thing that was driving me nuts. I was like, I like went to bed, convinced <laughs> that Ortega's. I I mourned Ortega's character. Yeah. Like last night, and then like I get up and Ortega's is like running around hitting people with swords. What gives? Well, it's great that Una's on their team, right? Una yeah. is the arrow shooter yeah. of the crew. She's the huntress. She's on this team side and specifically very much on Ortega's side. You said you would call on me. Been a busy time. Yeah, it's implied that they're fucking in this reality. Yeah. And uh, they go down to engineering and Mabenga and... Hammer start talking about this theory called the Boltzmann brain theory, which is that a brain can like spontaneously occur in nature. Well, I did a little bit of reading about this, Ben. It's the idea that it's just as likely that a brain can spontaneously exist than a universe. Whoa. Whoa, that's so intense. You know? Yeah. Which would suggest that if the brain occurred before the universe, that the universe could be a construct of that brain. Right. Sounds almost like you're describing a god. Yeah, it's in this scene that they're digesting that, but also realizing that the story is being changed and changed in ways that Rukia has suggested. So this is maybe not a story that's being pulled from Mabenga's mind, but from Rukia's mind. Not a good look for Mabenga to be at this moment in time in the episode going, I wonder where my daughter is. <laughs> and uh well i mean like i think from at this point he was sure that she was just in the transport buffer right that's like the safest place you know this is the thing you get crazy dome and you just kind of forget about your responsibilities mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's learning about the idea that maybe rukia's ideas are being peppered into this story and he turns back to number one and ortegas who have just told him that they're fucking and right. he's like what the hell has she been reading? Like, I I just read her this book. Where is she getting these horny ideas for these characters? Rukia, is this your idea of sex? <laughs> <laughs> so they got to find her. In the room, they're like, well, how do we get this nebula to cut this shit out? And one of the ideas floated as like, well, we could hurt Mabanga real bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mabenga's not into it as much as Una and Ortegas are in this moment. <laughs> yeah. So they go to Six Bay slash the place where the sorceress lady works. And uh, they start trying to bring Rukia out of the transport buffer. But it turns out she was beamed out earlier that morning. Yeah. There's a lost child on the ship. Mm. Can't have that. Yeah. Especially with the, the Scarlet Guard. It doesn't seem like she's dead, though, right? She was, like, beamed out of the buffer to somewhere on the ship. Unclear where. Do you wish we had a specific amount of time left on Rukia? Because in that first log, it's saying we're down to minutes. Yeah. But is it actually minutes, or is it, like... Is it emotional minutes? Yeah, is he is he using hyperbole for narrative flourish in writing oh about how stressed he is about saving his daughter? Or is there literally like a clock floating above her head that is ticking down to zero? Yeah, I don't know. I think based on the passage of time here, my vote is hyperbole. Hmm. Wow. 
you can't actually say that. It's it's the big bowl. The NFL is is uh, <laughs> gonna come sue us. <laughs> it's the big bully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he and Hammer are talking about this, and uh, Spock overhears and goes and reports it to Queen Nev. He was eavesbacking. Yeah. I guess they're like, at this point, they've decided that Rukia is the Mercury Stone, right? Yeah. So he reports this to Queen Nev, and she's like, great, I'm going to find this kid. I'm going to make her mine. And I'm also going to use Pike's character to do it. Pike has turned. Yeah. So Roth, down to lick whatever boot is in front of his tongue. Oh, yeah. Like a right-wing radio host. <laughs> and... uh this shit is getting complicated, man. <laughs> yeah. In Six Bay, something horrible happens, Ben. What? The establishing shot is Nurse Chapel, and then we cut to Hammer's hands. Ugh. And I feel like the sequence makes it look like Nurse Chapel's hands are fucked up. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah, because she like leans over her cauldron and yeah. then it cuts to a hand leaning into frame. Yeah, and the hands are at the same angle that hers would be. Yeah, yeah. Did not like that. I still think Saru's hands are worse by a lot. Oh, yeah. But Hammer's hands are gross as hell. Yeah. Hammer looks like he's been like uh, sculpting with plaster. Yeah. Saru has dog dicks. Don't beat yourself up about it. It's crazy. The broken fingers were somehow an improvement to Hammer's hands. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I'd rather see all of his fingers broken than see them yeah. like this. <laughs> I was reading that Jess Bush got her start on Australia's Next Top Model. That was her first television credit on uh, IMDb. Wow. Yeah. She made the leap. I didn't know that she was Australian. I didn't either. She doesn't sound Australian. She sounds like she's from Star Trek. Well, that's acting, Ben. Hmm. I guess so. Do you think the uh, the cauldron swirls in the opposite direction mm. in yeah. Australia? Probably. Why don't you uh, place a collect call and find out, Adam? <laughs> yeah. Get you in a lot of trouble. This is a confusing moment because Mabenga's like, someone stole my daughter. Who would do that? And if she were free, where would she go? She's already said that the place that she would like to see on the ship is his quarters. So right. that is where they head next. Mm -hmm. And they're on their way. And Sir Roth happens to encounter them in the hallway. And they're like, all right, Sir Roth. Well, good to see you. But we got to go into the quarters right now. And they're heading in there. And Sir Roth gets a knife to... Mabenga's neck. I am sorry, Your Majesty, but she promised me your kingdom, and who could turn that down? And then the Crimson Guard and Queen Nev and Pollux the Wizard come out from everywhere. Looks like it's game over, Adam. It's game over, and it shouldn't have surprised Mabenga. This is like one of those scenes that's played for laughs because Mabenga's like, I've been reading this book dozens of times to my daughter. This one's on me, guys. I fucked up. <laughs> I should have known. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. The day is actually saved by Caster the Wizard. That reaching into frame to get that uh, communicator mm -hmm. that it, that showed us his hideous hand. Yeah. It actually had a purpose, Adam. It wasn't just to gross us out. Yeah. It was to get a communicator so that he can use magic to beam all the bad guys to some other part of the ship so right. that they can finish the story. Hammer chooses not to beam them into space. Instead, <laughs> they're just in a cargo bay. 
Yeah, we could have found out. If you get beamed into space, do you really die? Yeah, yeah. Mubenga goes into his quarters, and there is his daughter in a princess dress. I'm princess! And she's talking about how she's been playing with her friend, the nebula. And uh, he scans her, and she's all better. That disease that she had has disappeared. This being has not only cured Rukia, it has some opinions about things. Mm. Yeah. And we learn about those via Hammer. Hammer's on the scene, and he's like, you know how I was telling you how painful it is to interact with this thing? I'm willing to go through it for the purposes of story advancement. <laughs> you remember in Independence Day when Brent Spiner was pushed up yeah. against that glass? <laughs> well, I'm going to put him on the glass myself. <laughs> so Hammer plays telephone, and yeah. the being gets up in Hammer looks down at his hands and is like, what the fuck is up with these hands? I, could we swap Hammer out, actually, so I, yeah. could, I could use someone else as a conduit? Yeah, the, the camera pushes up to the window and you just see out the window the nebula going, <laughs> It's amazing you've survived. So the being through Hammer is like, I want to keep playing with your daughter. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? Yeah. And I know having just said those words, it sounds a little creepy. <laughs> that sounds weird, I know. But here's the thing, like as soon as the being says this, they follow it up with, I don't like how you're treating her. You keep her in that weird prison. What are you doing? It's fucked up. And Mabenga's like trying to, it kind of reminded me a bit of the imaginary friend episode of TNG trying to say like, I wish I didn't have to, but she's yeah. a child who is sick and I'm trying to solve that and trying to explain that to an entity that wouldn't have any context for any of those decisions. An alien never understands for their own good as a concept. <laughs> right. The conversation turns to like, what if you let us leave? Like, what happens? Because Mabenga wants the entity to let them go. But if they do, it explains that all of the magic that is working to make Rukia not be dying of this illness will go away mm -hmm. and she will get sick again and yeah. she will die. There's a benefit to the proximity. Yeah. This is an awful decision for Mabenga because he can't quite figure out how to save his daughter's life. And in thinking about it for a moment, the being is like, you know, you could just kind of leave her with me. And Mabenga's like, well, what about her birdie? And the being's <laughs> like, no, she just leaves her broken birdie behind. She will never know that. Uh, we'll, we'll take that out with the rest of the trash. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. Yeah. You know... <laughs> You know what? If you decide to leave her with me, I'll just leave the body with you. Yeah. Keep it. I don't need it. <laughs> you know, it's actually uh, more of a pain for me to figure out what to do with it. Like, I'd probably just put it in space yeah. to float around. I don't have like a bathtub or a <laughs> toilet out here, much less food. So like, it's like, what would I even do with it? I mean, here's the deal. Give me one of those barrels you're keeping in the in the cargo bay. Yeah. I mean, that's how we could deal with this. One of those conveniently kid-sized barrels. Remember from uh, that other episode? <laughs> Anyways, so Mobenga has a, you know, get down on 
one knee and talk to the daughter conversation where the decision is sort of put to her. Like, do you want to stay here with Entity or do you want to come with me and die? And she's like, well, I think sticking with Entity sounds pretty good. That sounds like a better deal. In emotion and music and everything, the scene is telling us that it is okay to leave this choice up to a child. And she chooses to go with the being. I want to. She woke up and chose being. Mabenga co-signed it. Yeah. Okay, brave girl. What the hell are you doing? How crucial do you think it is that Rakia makes the decision and not Mabenga? Like, it's not Mabenga making the decision and Rakia co-signs. It's very specifically she makes it and he's like, all right. Well, because crucially, she's like, I'll go back in the pattern buffer if that's what you want, Dad. And that's when he gets on the knee and says, now it's your decision. You know, like the children's book, how the Mercury Stone ended up being alive. Mm. And, uh, you know, if you love the Mercury Stone, you got to set it free. (laughs) That kind of thing. Yeah. That's what he metaphorically uses to make it right with her in this moment. It's amazing that this book is such a perfect metaphor for what's going on here. I know. King Ridley is forced to choose. So the entity releases Hammer and Hammer like collapses on the couch and then a bunch of sparkly light comes out of his birdie <laughs> and envelops Rukia. Hammer falls on the couch and he's like, oh, my finger. Oh. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I stomped it against the edge of the couch. <laughs> Fuck, it had just healed. Why did the being just let me fall that way? <laughs> You're going to trust the being to take care of a, a little kid? <laughs> The hell is wrong with you? What kind of father are you? <laughs> the lights envelop Rukia and Adam. She's uploaded to the cloud. Hmm. Leaving her body behind in the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looks like that kid that they pulled out of the machine and they uh, <laughs> lift us up where suffering cannot reach episode. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to get value for the dummy, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, we got this gaunt and wan child. Should we just use this again? Is Guan the name of your your emo your emo Guar cover band? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he is like standing there processing what just happened for. 30 seconds when sparkling lights come back into the ship and rematerialize and he gets to meet grown-up Rukia. Yeah. And she's like, great news. I named <laughs> I named the Nebula Deborah. I think this scene is sad in a way that they do not intend it because there is something clearly, to me anyway, stunted and childlike about this performance. Yeah. In a way where like you're made to understand that there's sort of a suspended growth in the daughter where like becoming one with the entity, like she stays a child and she's named the entity her mom's name. Yeah. And she has not grown up. She's just gotten an adult birdie. Why would she have an adult birdie? I got a birdie. That red is kind of intentional to me. Like she has stayed this kind of like fairy tale person in this way. Like like I thought a lot about that, like the idea of like being a person whose entire existence is about kind of confabulating stories 
but you have like almost no lived experience to draw on. Why give her an adult party though? There's something tragic there. I mean, I guess it's to like make Mabenga feel like it was okay that you chose Cloud. Hey, <laughs> hey, Dad. Uh, I have an adult birdie, and sex ed with the cloud is fucking weird as hell. <laughs> like, I don't know what any of this stuff does. <laughs> I'm trying to write a little bit more detail in the uh, Zamira the Huntress and Sir Adia storyline yeah. about some stuff that they do together. I'm just, I'm at a loss. I came back just to ask you, like, some practical advice about what to do with that part. Yeah. <laughs> you know the cloud is going to need you to sign a waiver for uh for me to take the classes can i talk to your friend it doesn't really work that way god yeah weird scene yeah i mean but this scene is about closure too right this is the right. scene where she tells her dad i'm gonna be okay look at me I'm an adult with a childlike mind and I'm playing with the cloud. I'm happy. You gotta be okay with that. And he says he is. But she also makes him promise to try to be happy without her. And he lies and says, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then she's gone again. Because it's always awkward to say goodbye the second time, right? Like, this is another strange quality to this scene is that she says goodbye and then she comes back and then she leaves without saying goodbye the second time. Yeah, it's like when you uh, you leave the restaurant with the other couple and you're like, hey, so uh, it was great seeing the two of you and you and your wife turn to go to your car yeah. and the other couple are like, oh, we're parked that way also. Yeah. And then you're walking together for three blocks and you're like, God damn it. Okay. <laughs> this is exactly what's happening here. Really jumped the gun on the, on the farewell. Yeah. Hemmer wakes up after uh, everything has disappeared and he's got a real bastard behind the eyes. Doctor, am I in your quarters? He's like, oh God, I must have really tied one on last night. I am fucking hung over. And what the fuck is wrong with my fingers? (laughs) Ah! (laughs) He has no memory of what happened. Nobody has any memory of what happened. Yeah, yeah. And to a human... A mystery is irresistible. Mm. You are a most unusual species. <laughs> That's all I was thinking at this moment was like, holy shit, Mabenga's the only one that remembers. Everyone is going to be on his ass about this. <laughs> it does feel like uh, number one is weirdly incurious. She's like, oh, so you remember what happened during the five hours. Wow. Well, that's really sweet. Sounds like a hell of a story. It is. Five hours is so much time. To be blacked out. Yeah. Did you uh, happen to see me shooting anyone with arrows during that time? <laughs> yeah. My fingers are like, uh, you know, like after you've shot a bow for a while, they've got that like, like they're like worn out in this particular way. You know what's strange is I woke up in Ortegas's quarters and- uh... <laughs> I woke up in Ortegas. <laughs> <laughs> Any ideas why that happened? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Mabenga has an idea of how it happened, and so he begins to tell her the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ben, would you tell me the story about whether or not you like this episode? I did like this episode. I feel like this is good old-fashioned Star Trek corn, but done well. Yeah. I had a very weird experience of it because I was convinced that it was good. Like... 
I went to bed going like, okay, so the the story is going to be they're fucking around with fucking swords and cloaks and wizards and shit. And then when they come out of it, Ortegas is going to be dead. And I was like, how are they going to make the pivot from corn to tragedy? Because the pivot from corn to tragedy seems impossible, given what I think they're setting up right now. And I was baffled by that. So I think that maybe the strangeness of how I watched this made me like it more than I would have if I just watched it without you and Wendy ruining something about it for me. Wow. Hey, what do you think is the most tragic corn preparation? Hmm. The most tragic corn. I mean, I don't really have a ton of use for creamed corn. I'd rather just have it on the cob or in like a corn salad or something, I guess. So in a steakhouse context, that's not on your list? I would rather get corn on a cob in a steakhouse. Do they even have corn on the cob at the steakhouse? No, I don't go to steakhouses that much. God. But like if I'm choosing between creamed corn and creamed spinach, I'm getting creamed spinach every day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah, give me something that's slopped in a bowl. Yeah. Give me spinach cereal. Looks like something that Calvin's mom would cook. I want that. Why is it so good? I don't know. Because it's full of butter. (laughs) It shouldn't be good. Look at it. It's buttery and creamy, Adam. It's delicious. What do you think? You were were mad at this episode. I was mad because I got excited about Cybok, but I can't hold that against this episode. Cybok's episode 10. Come on. Yeah. I mean, I think in order to like this episode, you need to like holodeck episodes and Barkley ones in particular, right? You know, there's nothing wrong with a healthy fantasy life. You call this healthy? But do you like them enough to feel like getting one in a 10 episode season is a good use of new Star Trek? And that's what I kept thinking about is like in a season where things are really humming along. I think it is uh, incredibly confident of a series to go, we are going to hit the brakes on this. Absolutely. Good plan. And we are going to take a hard right into a fun episode, into a silly episode. Is that bad? Yeah. Is it good? That's curious. To use a sports metaphor, it's like having a power hitter lay down a bunt. Yeah, right. You're still advancing the runners, but it's not doing the thing that you expected, you know, a great show to do. Right. I really loved seeing this cast act, like capital A act, becoming these different characters and especially Anson Mount. Like I think he had he went the furthest against type in this episode in a way that was really fun. And I like his physicality remains like really interesting to me. And I know that can be taken out of context into like Adam really loves Anson Mount. <laughs> Adam's thirsty for Anson Mount. That's not it at all. Like I really appreciate his weird blinking, mm-hmm. his like size and like head tosses and stuff. Like he's really acting big this episode. Yeah, Christina Chong as well. Uh, yeah, in the uh, in the princess role was just so like fun and silly and uh, so far against the kind of character that she plays. Yeah, like. <laughs> I can never imagine the character of La'an Nunyan Singh putting on a dress that has a uh, yeah. a hemline like that. And <laughs> I mean, but I want to be clear. This show does camp really well, but I don't like camp. Whoa. And so I can appreciate how good the episode is, but this episode isn't for me. All right. That's fair. That's a fair assessment. Nobody would say it's unfair, Adam. That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm trying to say. 
Well, what I'm trying to say is we've got some priority one messages in the inbox, and I would very much like to read some to you. Do I get to change the endings? No, uh, that's not an option. These people paid. Damn it! <laughs> priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. I want these two P1s to uh, make out with each other. <laughs> You're just pushing the two P1s heads yeah. together and go, now kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, our first P1 is of a promotional nature. goes like this. No better time for a P1 than deep into the Chateau Picard Reserve on my 37th birthday. Mm. I first binged Greatest Gen in season four of TNG. Loyal to both shows since. Owed you some scarves as a thanks for all you do. I was bummed when I recently missed out on a job in the pocket of Big Rod. But my wife and I have actually been really lucky and done okay through the pandemic. So I thought to honor all FODs everywhere, especially the ones that need a little help, I'd throw 500 scarves to the LA Food Bank. Cheers. Whoa. Wow. Wow. This is from Mark. Not the one you're thinking of, though. You wouldn't know him. The call to action is help out your fellow FODs if you're able. Wow, that's great. That's a very generous contribution to the LA Food Bank, Mark. We really appreciate it. Hey, you know what, Ben? Yeah. We're doing the same thing. We're throwing 500 at the LA Food Bank. Whoa, a matching contribution. I love it. Yeah, why not, right? The uh, Alameda Food Bank, which I uh, contribute to regularly, is going to be really sad to hear that I'm messing around with another food bank. Hey, why don't we spread it around a little bit? All right. Mark says uh, he's not the one we're thinking of. You know which one I was thinking of, right? Oh, hi, Mark. (laughs) Oh, hey, Johnny. What's up? I'm just sad that Mark didn't get in into the pocket because then we would have had like an agent on the inside. I want to know more about that, right? We could have had a sleeper agent inside the pocket. Yeah, man, that would have been really something. <laughs> we would have really uh, not had much to do with yeah. that information. Uh, no, I mean, like, I'm also sure that, like, if you go to work for Big Rod, you have to sign something about, like, not communicating outside of the right circled wagons, right? Yeah, but I mean, I think... Uh, uh, we might not have ever even known that we had a, you know... I think we're good at keeping secrets. We've been yeah. in and around the pocket before. We know a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is from Defested. Hey. And it is to Ben, Adam, and everyone at the Minneapolis Double Dumbass Tour. Yeah. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, nerds. <laughs> when you put out a call the night before the Minneapolis show that there was still a P1 available, I started writing one. Unfortunately, the rug was pulled out from underneath me. By the time my message was written, the spot was no longer available. Whoa. (laughs) No hard feelings. The message I was going to send out to the Minneapolis audience was... (laughs) And the message is cut off here. Defested ran out of space. Yeah. Oh, man. Hey, Defested, I'm sorry you ran out of space, so I I guess... uh... Maybe just fill us in on what that was and whatever your next P1 is. Yeah. Defested doing a lot of support work as one of our best friends at DeSoto. Yeah. Defested came to all three of our Midwest shows. It was really cool to see them. Sure did. If you would like to support the show via Priority One Message, get your buns on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where your choice of a commercial or a personal message goes a long way. Long, long way. Supporting the production of the show. Very long way indeed. 
Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? It's hard not to choose Pike. <laughs> I mean, I and by saying Pike, I'm really saying Sir Roth. Right. Sir Roth can't be trusted. Sir Roth is fucking things up in every direction. Sir Roth is the Edward Larkin of all the characters, I think. Yeah. I think that's pretty clear. What about you? To me, it's Lan. I mean, I think for similar reasons, just like a very silly character. I think that the thing that sealed the deal was when she made the dog clap. My princess Runa applauds you. And was doing the little sound effects for it. Oh, I think the thing that sealed it for me was the singing. <laughs> you got to know that she can sing before doing that scene, right? And she can. She's got pipes. Yeah. She was just so funny. And I, I feel like. She has been funny on the show, but not in that way, like not in that like silly big way. So she was my Larkin for this episode. It's got to feel good to be such a serious character for so long. And then like, it's not that it's not still acting, but it feels like it's a little more relaxed to yeah. just like play with a puppy and sing get, sometimes. Like get as weird as you want to get. You can't tell me that's not a better day at work <laughs> than right. the usual La'an character work you know absolutely yeah well that was a very fun and weird episode to talk about can't wait to hear about what the next one is and if we've got information about it by the time this goes out i think you will hear about it in the credits take it away wendy she's gonna sing the credits in a laan <laughs> like surprise wow really high notes surprisingly high <laughs> I'm not going to sing the credits, but I will tell you about the next episode of Strange New Worlds. It's called All Those Who Wander. The USS Enterprise crew comes face to face with their demons and scary monsters too, when their landing party is stranded on a barren planet with a ravenous enemy. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Thank you to Adam Ragusia, who composed all of the original music that we use on this show. We recommend that you check out both his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel. And thank you to Bill Tilly. He's the mastermind behind all of the social media for Uxbridge Shimoda. Make sure you're following the show on Instagram and Twitter at Greatest Trek, and use the hashtag Greatest Discovery to talk about the show online. You can support The Greatest Discovery with a monthly gift at MaximumFun.org join. And we really appreciate the members who are already doing that. You can also rate or review the show. And right now, if you include a question in your five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that question might get answered on an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. But is the puppy real? Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.